Hi, this is John Arberg. This is Passage to Wisdom. We're almost to the end of this. Tomorrow will be the last episode in the Passage to Wisdom series. And then I'll be off for a couple of weeks. And then we're going to uh, launch into the Advent season. Actually, on Monday, the week of Thanksgiving, Nancy's going to join me. And we're going to celebrate. It will have been a year that I have been doing these videos. And I'm so grateful for this little community. And I want to say thank you. Another way of doing that, a bunch of people have asked, hey, what about Mark Nelson's pencils? If you haven't seen that episode yet, my friend Mark Nelson, philosopher, talked about how he will give pencils to his students. And he actually, because people have asked about this, has offered to send pencils. So if you write today, you can put a note in the comment bar, uh, text us, and, and tell us, I want a pencil. And we will send you Mark Nelson's email address, and you can arrange with Mark to get a pencil to remind you that you are Mark's special friend, not that you have disappointed Mark. But now today, I want to talk, this is from the next to last of Screwtape Letters, about living in truth and being unmuddled. God is a God of truth. Truth is always my friend, even though it may be painful. Maybe it's most important when it is painful. And God is a God who will give me the strength that I need to bear truth. And evil always tends to ride with deception and hiddenness. When Screwtape is writing to Wormwood, he talks in the next last letter about maybe they should try to make Wormwood's patient filled with cowardice, or maybe they should try to make him filled with hatred. Uh, they're not able to create bravery, so they can't do that. All of hell cannot create one single virtue. But Screwtape says, hatred we can manage. The tension of human nerves during noise, danger, and fatigue makes them prone to any violent emotion. It is only a question of guiding the susceptibility into the right channels. If conscience resists, muddle him. If conscious resists, muddle him. When we are muddled, when we are unclear about our own thoughts and feelings and actions, we become particularly vulnerable to walking down wrong tracks, to become the wrong kind of person. So God invites us to get unmuddled. And I want to talk to you for a few moments today, do the best I can to unpack this, about a particular form that muddling takes, that we're especially vulnerable to, that can do a lot of damage. And it's a phrase that you might have heard of before, cognitive dissonance. The experience of our vulnerability to cognitive dissonance. Now this is a phrase that often gets used uh, quite loosely and very often inaccurately. Sometimes people think that cognitive dissonance is sparked simply by something that's confusing in the external world. Or I've heard people say things like, you know, you're sending me mixed messages. You say you care for me, but what I see in you is uncaring behavior, so I'm experiencing cognitive dissonance. That's not actually cognitive dissonance. Or we're troubled or confused by our world. I saw today we're experiencing something now that's being called skimpflation. And the stock market keeps going up, and yet there's all kinds of supply chain issues. And, and we think, I don't know how to make sense of this world. That's not cognitive dissonance. 
Cognitive dissonance is not confusion about the external world, it's division in my internal world. Cognitive dissonance takes place when there is conflict or tension between my beliefs, attitudes, values, and actions or decisions. Because we are whole beings and we are meant to experience integration and harmony and oneness. And so when there is division inside us, when there is a divided will or a divided mind, that's actually a soul wound. Cognitive dissonance is a soul wound because the soul seeks to unite and harmonize and integrate us into one single life and then connect it in truth with other people and with God. So, uh, cognitive dissonance was actually first coined by a psychologist, Leon Festinger, at Stanford University, not real far from where I'm talking right now. This is in 1957, interestingly, looking at a religious population. There was a quite bizarre cult, and the leader of it was predicting the world was going to end in 1957. Aliens were going to come and end everything. And so believers in this cult waited for that, and then it didn't happen. Uh, duh, because we're still here. And so part of what with the theory of cognitive dissonance predicted was that while you might think when the world didn't end, people would stop believing in that leader and that cult, cognitive dissonance says, no, because in my decisions and my actions, I'm committed to this cult. So what I will actually do then is I will change my beliefs to justify my actions and my commitments. And that's exactly what happened. People ended up coming up with the idea that the aliens were giving the earth a second chance and folks in this particular cult then actually committed themselves more deeply to environmental concerns and the cult actually grew as a result of this. And this has led to all kinds of interesting and kind of counterintuitive findings like researchers split people up into two different groups to watch a movie that was not a very good movie. One group they paid $1 to watch it and one group they paid $10 to watch it. Now, you might think the people that paid $10 would have a higher standard for the movie and say, I paid a lot for this movie, so it better have been really good. No, it was quite the opposite. The people who paid $10 liked the movie better than the people that got to see it for $1. Why? Well, because they said to themselves, I paid a lot of money to see this movie. Back in those days, $10 was a lot of money. And so if I paid a lot of money to see this movie... It must be a really good movie because I would never do something as irrational as paying a lot of money to see a bad movie. On the other hand, they gave, re they gave uh, subjects a real dull, boring, monotonous task. And they paid half of them $1 and they paid half of them $20. And the group that did the task for $1 rated it as a much more meaningful, enjoying, enjoyable task. Because the $20 people could say, well, it was a really dull task, but I got 20 bucks out of it, so that's why I did it. But the people that got $1 couldn't justify doing it for only a measly dollar. So they said, well, this must have been a really meaningful thing for me to do. Cognitive dissonance is the tendency that we have to want to integrate our beliefs and our attitudes and our values and our actions. It's a God-given gift to us because our soul means for us to be whole, but because sin is in us we will actually become selectively insane to justify our behavior. And you see this at work in the very beginning in the Bible. 
when the evil one comes to Adam and Eve, his first statements are, did God really say that you must not uh, eat, or Eve even says touch, any other fruit in the garden? God knows that if you eat it, then your eyes will be open and you will be like God. In other words, he is sowing dissonance in Eve and then in Adam. Without dissonance, there cannot be persuasion. And he's moving them to take an action that will be at odds with the notion that God is looking out for their good. And they do that. They take that action. And now these beliefs and attitudes get rooted in them. So when God comes to be with them, to walk with them in the cool of the day, their belief now is that God cannot be trusted, and their emotion now is shame. And so they hide. And we have been struggling with this dissonance in our soul, this gap between what we believe or claim to believe, what we value or claim to value, and the actions that we engage in all the time. What's the antidote to this? What's the solution? Well, two gifts from God, grace and truth. And grace must come first. John says that when Jesus came, he was full of grace and truth. Grace, being loved by God, gives me the power to see the truth about myself. I was talking to somebody yesterday about my old job and just thinking about one of the parts of it that I wish I had done so much better. There's some people I was thinking about. David Hubbard, who was president of Fuller, that was just great at building wonderful boards. And I just found myself wishing I was better at that than I was because there's so many ways in which I did not do that nearly as well as would have served the organization well it doesn't mean that I didn't do anything right it doesn't mean that I have to beat myself up but if somebody comments on that I can just simply look at that and say yep that's the truth and I was thinking how uh, disarming it is when people do that a friend of mine back in the Midwest had a boss who's a terrific boss but always challenging and and my friend said one time, you know, couldn't you give me some encouragement every once in a while? Instead of getting defensive about it, the boss just said, oh, yeah, that's, that's a good reminder. Um, I used to be way worse at that than I am now. Actually, you should have seen me 10 years ago. And there was something so disarming about this person, not defending, not saying, what's the matter with you, just owning it. And that's living in grace and then in truth so that I'm able to see the whole truth about myself and get unmuddled. So the question today is, where do you feel a little pang of dissonance in your soul? Where is that sense in a relationship or uh, in your truthfulness with other people or in your work or in my transparency with God? Where's that little pang of dissonance? God, I let go of my need to defend myself. God, would you flood me with your grace so that I have strength to see the truth. Unmuddle me. Deliver me from cognitive dissonance. And we're going to wrap up Passage to Wisdom tomorrow, so I hope I'll see you then. Thanks for joining us. Receive alerts for new episodes by texting the word BECOME to the number 56525 
or invite a friend by sharing the link become new.